You know, I've been very, um, I'm kind of excited and I'm a little disappointed about today. I've really, really enjoyed this sermon series in Colossians and uh, I've been excited about doing it. I've been excited doing it and I'm a little disappointed now that today we're going to finish it up. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to uh, just let you know that if you didn't see the uh, announcement on the city, which is our church's own kind of private uh, social media network. By the way, if you'd like to be on the city, you don't have to be a member. All you got to do is put on the back of one of those connection cards, uh, the city, and give us your email address and you'll receive an invitation to be on that. Uh, but we put an uh, announcement of our next upcoming sermon series called Truth, Answering Questions People Ask. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about in Colossians, it says, be ready to give an answer to any man who asks about your faith. And so what we want to do in that series is answer your questions. Uh, what are the questions that you get asked uh, that kind of throw you for a loop? Or what are the questions that you're afraid you're going to be asked that keep you from sharing your faith? Uh, or if you have questions, uh, let us know what those questions are. We'd like to answer some of those questions about your faith and about sharing your faith with others so that you can go into those conversations uh, comfortable and feeling like you have the tools you need to have those um, conversations uh, confidently. And so uh, don't forget to just, uh, you can just respond there on the city uh, to that thread, or you can just email Pastor Derek or myself or Pastor John, and we will answer your questions if we can do that. And uh, so anyway, we are in the, the book of Colossians, and we've been talking about the supremacy of Christ, the fact that Christ is supreme over all. And because he's supreme above all, he should be preeminent in our lives. We make him preeminent in our behavior because he's supreme. We should make him preeminent in our thinking because he's supreme. We should make him preeminent in our calendar because he's supreme. We should make him preeminent in our finances because he is supreme. And we should make him preeminent in our relationships because he is supreme. Now, one of the things that I love to do when I go to a movie is I love to sit there and be kind of the last one out of the movie theater because I love watching the end credits. Uh, I don't know about you or if you think that's kind of weird, you probably do. Uh, but I love the end credits because they always tell a story. And today, as Paul kind of signs off, uh, we're going to see uh, that he's going to give us kind of the ending credits. And they're going to tell a story about his ministry team. Uh, but have you ever thought why people do that? Why people stay in a movie theater and, and wait till the very end, till the, till the movie shuts off? Well, there's actually a graph on that. Uh, in, in the green area there at the very top is credit where credit's due. You want to make sure that everybody gets credit for what they did. Very small amount of people. A little few, few or more, you know someone involved in making the movie. I, I never know anybody involved in making the movie. Now, about a fourth of the people, they're hoping for an extra footage afterwards. You know, sometimes where they show like bloopers and stuff like that at the end. Those are kind of funny, and I like to stick around to see those. But I'm in the red category, which says making fun of weird names and jobs. Man, there's just some really weird things that happen in, uh, in ending credits. In fact, some of my favorites are dedicated to Elias Howe, who invented the sewing machine in 1846. But you didn't know that, did you? See, you left too early. Of course, some of you are saying, I left too early. I was born too late. That was 1965. In George Romero's Creep Show, there's actually credit for a roach wrangler. Now, there's a job you don't see uh, in, in high school guidance, do you? There's a roach wrangler. There's actually a person who wrangles roaches uh, for scary movies. Uh, in Chosen Survivor, which was 1974, uh, it actually said there was a technical consultant 
on vampire bats. I didn't know you could do that either. One of my favorites is in Werewolf in London, it says at the very end, any resemblance to any person's living, dead, or undead is purely coincidental. So see, any credits are pretty cool. You should stick around to the movie at the movies till the very end. But at the end of Colossians, the Apostle Paul gives us some ending credits. They display for us important people to the first century church. These people were important because they represent five characteristics of people in probably every church since then. In other words, every church probably has people like these five characteristics. And so I want to look at these today, and I want to go through this passage with you and see some of the people that he puts in his ending credits. But first, let's read the passage at the end of this incredible letter. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so he finishes Colossians, this letter to this church, uh, with kind of a, a rundown, kind of an ending credits of the men who are with him in his ministry team. And he shows us in these men, these five character examples, and I want us to take a look at those today and see if maybe we see ourselves or could see ourselves fulfilling these characteristics at Fellowship of Grace. The first one is this, faithfulness, faithfulness. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He's described as a faithful minister and fellow servant. This isn't only a factual statement, but it's so true of this guy that it's kind of his reputation. He's a faithful servant. Look what Paul says about him in his letter to the Ephesians. He doesn't just mention him to one church. He brings him up when he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He's never described in any other way but a faithful servant of Christ and a faithful help to Paul. But he's not the only one. Look back at verses 10 and 11 of Colossians 4. It says, 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Here we see that Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, called Justice, are the only three Jewish converts that have been fellow workers with Paul and faithful to his ministry, and they bring him comfort. They bring him comfort because he's been able to count on them. He's been able to rely on them. And it brings Paul comfort as he serves. Faithful fellow servants bring comfort because we feel uh, better when we're with someone in our work. Listen, it's, it's always better to be with a team than alone and by yourself, right? And Aristarchus has proven his faithfulness to Paul's ministry before. This is not his first time. This is not his, in essence, first rodeo. Look back at Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Says, so the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Aristarchus was with Paul when he was getting beat up in the city of Ephesus. I mean, this was virtually a riot because Paul's preaching was turning people away from their idols. And those who were making idols were getting very upset that it was kind of hitting their, uh, you know, their financial uh, system there. They weren't happy about losing money that people were giving up on idols and worshiping the one true God. And this guy, Aristarchus, was getting beat up with Paul. He was right in the middle of the riot. He was right in the middle of everything that was happening. He'd been a faithful fellow worker of Paul's for a very long time through a lot of circumstances. We also see a ministry partner of Paul's from the Colossian church in Colossians 4.12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you? He's talking to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, listen, this guy is one of your people. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling, on, always, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's saying he's one of you. He's a Colossian. And he's characterized as being a faithful prayer warrior. In fact, his prayers are so intense. His prayers are so passionate. Paul says that he's struggling. He's, he's wrestling. He's fighting in his prayers for you. Man, that's a faithful prayer. And so we see the faithfulness of this man. Faithfulness is a great quality for a Christian of any church. You know, in fact, for those of you who go here on a consistent basis, when I mention the people who are faithful at Fellowship of Grace, there are probably pictures coming into your mind of the people that you would define as faithful. You see them every week, week after week. You know that they're the ones who will be involved in virtually every important ministry of this church. You know that if there's something that needs to be done, they won't wait to be asked. They'll just do it. A church needs faithful servants in ministry, and our church has many. I'm not going to list them because I don't want to create another riot, okay? But it's important to know that faithfulness is a description of a behavior. You got that? It's a description of a behavior. In other words, if you want to be seen as faithful, you know, what, you know how you do that? You be faithful. 
And by the way, being faithful has nothing to do with your personality. It has nothing to do with your spiritual gift. It is simply a behavior you choose. Do I want to be faithful? Do I want to uh, fulfill what I say? Do I want to uh, be one who helps with whatever needs to be done? Do I want to be a faithful person to this body of Christ in this place? You can be. You can be. Many years ago, a young man came to me and he said, hey, uh, he was, uh, you know, mid-20s, mid to early 20s, said, hey, how can I be a leader here? And I said, hey, listen, just stand on the side and watch what the leaders do. And he did that. And, and he began to do the things that they did. And he began to be seen very differently. Now, I'm not going to encourage you to do something to be seen by others. But he, he was saying, I want to be a faithful person. How do I become a faithful person? Well, watch people who are faithful. Do what they do. It's a great characteristic in ministry. The second is fellowship. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Again, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Here we see both Tychicus and Onesimus having this great fellowship with Paul and he, him sending them away to be messengers of everything that's taken place with them. Now this guy, Onesimus, was once a runaway slave and now he's a beloved brother. In fact, the entire book of Philemon is about his and his master's story. It's only one chapter, you can read it in 20 minutes. These men provided Paul with great fellowship. Now fellowship is a word that describes the feeling of interacting in a way of providing camaraderie with one another. We interact in a community kind of feel to share life and joys and sorrow with each other. It's the fulfillment of the human need for community and companionship. You know, anybody who has sociologically studied gangs knows that the vast majority of gang members enter a gang because they somehow feel isolated from society. They somehow don't have a place to belong. You see, folks, uh, sometimes I think we think this is something wrong with us. When I, I, feel, I have this need in me to belong to something, I have this need to be around others. No, that's something innate to us because God has put that into our spirits to be connected with other people. He, he's put it in our spirits to want to be in relationship with a group of other people. It's something that's totally and completely normal. And the best group of people to be connected to is the body of Christ, the church. And we see here, folks, that these men are providing Paul with this incredible uh, level of fellowship, this, this camaraderie, this fact that they're doing life together. And you can experience that right here by getting more connected by getting into a core group or community group or there's a dozen other ways to get connected in ministry here and be around people that will help encourage you and do life with you. Another great character example we see, but it's kind of slightly hidden in this passage, uh, is how Paul speaks about Mark. Now, it's very interesting. If you know the story about Paul and Mark, uh, it's very interesting. I'm going to share it with you. Their relationship has not always been the absolute best. 
And in fact, let's review Paul and John Mark's kind of relationship uh, to this third characteristic, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Paul and a guy named Barnabas were a great ministry team. You know, like great duos throughout history, like Martin and Lewis, Rogers and Hammerstein, Donnie and Marie, you know, who, whatever. You know, maybe they're not a great duo, but, but great duos, you know what I mean, okay? Listen, Barnabas convinced Paul to take his cousin, John Mark, with them on a mission. Look what it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So he had kind of joined Paul and Barnabas. But early in the journey, John Mark abandoned the mission. He just said, I've had enough of this. I'm leaving. Look what it says in Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We don't see any reason here. We don't see any cause for him to leave. He didn't get word that there was a a dying family member. He simply maybe got homesick and he just left. He just left. Now Paul and Barnabas finished that journey together. But look what happened when they were getting ready to go on their next journey. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so we see here in this passage that Paul was so frustrated with John Mark that he refused to take him with him on the next journey. I mean, he just flat out refused. I wish we had a a copy of their conversation because Barnabas is this great encourager. I can just see Barnabas saying something like, nah, come on, Paul, you know, he was a young guy, and you know, he'll do better this time. I'm going to help him. I'm gonna, I'll stand by him. I'll help him out. We're gonna make him, he's going to be more successful, I promise. Paul's going, nope, not taking some stinking quitter with me. All this is going to happen is he's going to quit again. He quit before, he'll quit again. And so they begin to talk, and they begin to just really butt heads about this. And they get to the place where they say, listen, If you want to take John Mark, take him. He's not coming with me. And Barnabas is like, well, I am going to take him with me, so I guess we're going to separate. So these two Christian men, these two godly Christian ministers of the gospel decide to part ways. They can't work together any longer because of this problem with John Mark. Now, we don't have any record of how they reconciled or when it happened, but we know it certainly happened. Because this is about 12 years later, and look again at what Paul writes in Colossians 4.10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, because he wants to make sure that we know it's the same Mark, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now this word welcome him literally means give him a hearty welcome. In other words, it's not enough to say, "Uh, hey Mark, 
and good to see you again. That's not it. It's like, man, give the guy a handshake, put your arm around him, have a, have a ticker tape parade in your brain. I mean, you know, this is like, yeah, good job, Mark. See, Paul has forgiven Mark completely. They've forgiven each other, and now they're ministering successfully together. Folks, forgiveness should reign as a character for all Christians but especially, especially those who minister together. We can't let disagreements separate us and keep us from ministering together, even when they're legitimate. I mean, think about this. If you, if you were going to be on this debate with Paul and Barnabas, don't they both have a really good point? I mean, Paul's saying, look, the dude's a quitter. We can't take quitters on this thing. I can't go down this path with a bunch of guys who quit on us. That's legitimate. And Barnabas is saying, listen, man, you know, he's young, he's, you know, he's going to be better, I'm, I'm going to help him, he's, I can take him, I can, we can help him. And, and Barnabas is actually right in the end because Mark does become this great minister. And so Barnabas has a great legitimate concern. See, folks, it doesn't matter who's right. They both have a very legitimate case here, and they get into this horrible disagreement. But there's more at stake than who is right and who has been done wrong. Folks, forgiveness must reign because Christ has supremely forgiven us. But also because it is practical in order to minister to one another and the world. Think about it. Fellowship of Grace has now been in existence almost 11 years. What if we had a reputation in the community for splitting two times in 11 years? Nobody would want to come to church here. I wouldn't want to come to church here. You wouldn't want to come to church here. Those people can't get along with each other. That's, that's horrible. But if forgiveness reigns, yes, we're going to have disagreements. Yes, we're going to have differences of opinions. Yeah, we might even both be in a situation where, where we kind of bump heads pretty hard and we're both kind of legitimate in our reasoning. But folks, forgiveness has to reign in the body of Christ because Christ has forgiven us. And Paul I think makes a big deal of pointing out uh, that, that when Mark comes to you, man, have a party in your brain because he has been a faithful servant. He has fulfilled what God has called him to do. The fourth characteristic I want to point out is friendship. Friendship. Look at Colossians 4.14. Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. This word beloved means that he has got a close, personal, friendly relationship with, with Luke. Uh, uh, we see in Acts that Paul was plagued with some kind of physical ailment, and we don't know exactly uh, what it was. But Dr. Luke joined Paul in Troas in Acts 16. And for the rest of Paul's life, Luke traveled with him off and on. It appears that the good doctor is always with Paul when he needs him most. Now think about it. Every time Paul decides to go on another missionary journey, he calls up Dr. Luke and says, Hey, Dr. Luke, a week from Friday, I'm going on another big mission. It'll probably take 18 to 24 months. You want to go? And Dr. Luke leaves his practice, his family, and probably a very good lifestyle behind to minister with Paul. This guy is a friend of friends. Listen, if you don't have any friends, 
Start ministering in the body of Christ and you will make friends very quickly, I promise you. My best friends in my life are those that I have ministered with the longest and the greatest and been in the trenches with. You know, I love to watch the History Channel sometimes and, and I love watching these uh, uh, specials where they have these veterans from 50, 60 years ago and these guys serve together and they show pictures of them, you know, when they were 20 and they talk about uh, being in this war or that war and, and they talk about being in the uh, foxholes and sniper fire all around them and how they somehow made it through the night and they took care of each other and they looked after one another and they made it through. And folks, we are in a spiritual war we may not see all the bullets flying around us, but we are in a spiritual war. And you know the people that have the deepest, closest relationship in my heart are the people that I have been in the trenches with the longest. They're the people that I have dodged bullets with. Not physical bullets, but spiritual bullets. They're the people that I've ministered with for a long time. I have friends in Detroit that we only talk to each other probably two or three times a year. But if I call them up, we, we just pick up where we left off because we were in ministry for so long together and such deep things together. And by the way, when you're with people and you do ministry with them over a period of time and you see each other's kids being baptized, receiving Christ and being baptized, their kids start to serving, uh, them having grandkids, marrying their kids, being at their weddings, being, being in life together, doing all this stuff. Folks, those are deep, meaningful relationships. Paul felt that way about these guys because they had been in a spiritual battle. They had been on the front lines and they had learned to become great and deep and dear friends. I want to encourage you, if you don't have those kind of deep, meaningful relationships, those kind of friendships that you think will last forever for the rest of your life, Get involved in ministry. Get on the front line of the spiritual battle that's taking place. And I'm telling you, the people that you were in the foxhole with, you will love the rest of your life. Now those are four really positive characteristics that Paul suggests here in his ending credits. But there's a hidden one that's not so positive, And I want us to look at it. And it's this one. Failure. Look back at that verse that talks about Paul's great friend, Dr. Luke. He mentions somebody else there. He said, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, Demas, who he puts in the same category as Luke in this verse, is, is thought of pretty highly. But this is not the last time we hear about Demas. Look at 2 Timothy 4.10. Says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, why bring this up? Why bring this up? He only mentions Demas. Listen, I know it's very disheartening when one of our ministry team or one of our disciples that we are investing in leaves us or even leaves the church. But, folks, that's not uncommon. It's just not uncommon. I wish it were. Even the best ministers lose a few. Think about it. Jesus only kept 11 of the 12 disciples. Paul here has Demas turn away from him after he's invested all this time and energy and ministered with him. Fact was, Demas loved the world more than he loved, he loved this world more than he loved the next world. 
He loved this world more than he loved Paul and his brothers and sisters in Christ. He loved this world more than he loved the church. And ultimately, folks, Demas loved this world more than he loved Jesus Christ himself. Don't be a Demas. I'm telling you, I'm going to get a bumper sticker that says that. Nobody's going to know what it means, but I, I will. Don't be a Demas. And don't be disheartened by someone who is. Don't let them tear you down because you feel like you've failed. No, no, Demas made that decision on his own. Demas made the decision on his own to go and do what he wanted to do, which was follow the world instead of the kingdom of God. One more example. Back in Colossians 4, verses 15 through 17. It says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Here we see that this guy is given a charge by Paul. He's the only one that's given any charge by Paul. Paul says, listen, if you see this guy, tell him to fulfill his ministry. Tell him to fulfill the ministry that God has given him. In this passage and in church history, it looks like, and it, it, it is per, pretty certain, that, that this guy is the pastor of the church at Laodicea. Paul's saying, tell this pastor, you know, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. It appears that he's gotten lazy or complacent about his ministry. And Paul is basically telling him, listen, dude, get with it. Get with it. There are high stakes going on here. Now, we don't know if, if Archippus ever got with it or not. We don't know that for sure. But the church he was apparently leading in Laodicea didn't get with it. Look what it says in Revelation 3. I know your works. This is the church of Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right here, God is basically saying, church at Laodicea, you make me sick. Because you are just so lukewarm, you make me sick to my stomach. Now, we don't know for certain if this pastor who was lazy or complacent caused this church to have its downward spiral. But certainly it's a warning for us to fulfill the ministry that God has called us to, whatever that is. So here are the five characteristics. Paul does a lot more than just say, you know, sincerely Paul, sign off. By way of his ministry team, he shares with us four characteristics that we should reach for and one we should avoid at all costs. Faithfulness. He's saying be a faithful person. Be one of the ones that everybody else thinks about when they think of faithfulness. Be more like the people that you view as faithful. Not to be seen by others, but to please God and to bless his church that he loves. Fellowship. Be involved in this or another Bible-believing church, you know, if you don't like this church and you're visiting or whatever or you've been attending here and this isn't your church and you decide it's not your church, that's fine. Go to another Bible-believing church, but be involved at the level that you can build relationships with people and truly experience fellowship in sharing life together. Stand side by side with others who claim Christ as their Savior and encourage one another. Forgiveness. Offer forgiveness to others and ask for forgiveness when you have offended others, especially, especially, especially in the church. 
We may disagree about things or irritate each other, but we're family because we have the same father. Friendship. Get involved in ministry with others and experience lasting friendships. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at how ministry brings people together. The people that I have gone on mission trips with and and spent years ministering with, they are near and dear to me. Run after these four characteristics so that when somebody writes the history of Fellowship of Grace down the road, your name might appear. But folks, let's avoid at all costs failure. And I want you to remember here, these men were not failures because they were focused on the right things and they did their best and they simply weren't good enough. I think we worry about that sometimes. These men were not failures because they didn't have the goods. These men were failures because Demas decided to love the world more than Christ. And Archippus failed because he didn't take seriously the ministry that God gave him. You see, these men failed not because they didn't have the goods, not because Christ couldn't use them, not because they weren't good enough. It was simply because they couldn't keep their hearts and their minds set on the thing that was most important, Christ and his kingdom. I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. Talking about the supremacy of Christ has helped me tremendously. Let's leave Colossians determined to know Christ's supremacy, and to make him preeminent in our lives because, folks, he deserves it. He just deserves it. God has given us his first and his best in Christ Jesus. Let's give him back our first and our best of everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it guides and leads and teaches us. We thank you for this letter to this church in Colossae. God, I pray that Fellowship of Grace would be a church that has a reputation like this one, that we have hope and faith and love at a high level, that we minister to the community outside of us, and that we practice the one another's, that we love one another, that we forgive one another, that we care for one another. God, I thank you for this church and all the blessings that you have uh, uh, just blessed all of us with. God, I pray you would help us now to be light and salt to this world who needs to see you desperately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.